Shut up and sit down. Listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. Here's your host, John Lund. Hello, everyone. You're listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. I'm your host, John Lund, the multimedia sports enthusiast, bringing you this sports show. Well, March Madness provided an exciting opening weekend while also busting brackets. We'll get into that and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve on episode 60 of The Bridge. Greetings and salutations, everyone. Welcome back to another installment of The Bridge, coming to you live on Sports Radio America every Wednesday night, 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time, to bring you the best and brightest of the sports world. That's right, The Bridge is live on Sports Radio America every Wednesday night, though the show is technically pre-recorded. If you do miss the live show, the podcast version of The Bridge is available 48 hours after the initial broadcast, which means you can find the newest episode on iTunes or on my website at londonbridge.com on Friday nights. I'll save all the ways you can listen to The Bridge and where you can find the show until the end of this latest installment. If anything, you can call in or text the show 24-7 at 929-BRIDGE-7. That's 929-274-3437. Contact the show with your questions, comments, stories, or hot takes, and you'll be featured in the next installment of The Bridge. All right, let's get into the fun stuff. Give me the siren. The New England Patriots have had their fair share of scandals and gates to accompany their successes, but in the most recent one, this time, they were on the opposite side of things. But thanks be to God and all the saints, the case of the missing Super Bowl jersey, or jerseys, was finally cracked. It's time for the number one news anchor parody segment in sports radio, Here's this week's edition of Sports News Read Like Real News. The New England Patriots are the best current dynasty in sports, but have had their fair share of bumps along the road to success. They rose from the ashes of Spygate and refused to shrivel from the punishments of Deflategate. The latter scandal only helped fuel the fire already burning within the organization, with the end result, yet another Super Bowl championship. The Patriots celebrated like the kings they were, and future Hall of Fame quarterback was crowned by teammates and members of the media as the greatest quarterback of all time. This title might have meant a little bit more to Brady. He now has won more championships than any other quarterback in league history. And he won this one with his mother in the stands after she was unable to attend any other games while battling illness. 
So when he removed his jersey to don a Super Bowl championship t-shirt following the game, it was a piece of memorabilia he would hope to see again before heading home. After the photos and interviews, handshakes and hugs, Brady returned to his locker after removing his eye black and celebrating with teammates once more. It was finally time to head home. Only when he went to grab his bags, his game-worn jersey, which he made sure not to forget by placing it in a personal bag, was missing. Jerseygate had begun. News began to spread across social media that Brady's jersey had gone missing, courtesy of some videos that showed him searching for it like a shepherd does a sheep. It was certainly a deflating feeling, but not one that could be solved that night. Hopefully, the Shroud of Brady would turn up, but after all, it was just a jersey, right? Nay, nay. A search party worthy of finding the lost city of Atlantis was formed, including the Houston police, Texas Rangers, Patriot security contingents, and NFL security. Even the damn FBI and Assistant U.S. Attorney of Connecticut got involved. They searched in closets. They searched underneath rocks. Where, oh where, could the missing jersey be? Did it get tossed into the box of Falcons Super Bowl championship t-shirts and was currently being worn by a child in a third world country? Did an elderly gypsy notice the grass stains and take it to the river to wash it clean? Well, 43 days later, the case was finally cracked. After pulling all 20,000 credentials from everybody who was issued one for the Super Bowl and scouring over video evidence, a suspect was in play. Former La Prensa executive Mauricio Ortega, associated with one of the biggest newspapers in Mexico, was seen on video leaving the Patriots locker room with something tucked under his arm. He began his scheme taking selfies on the field with members of the Patriots after the game, then headed into the locker room before all the media was allowed in. After the snatch and media now going into the locker room, Ortega was headed out. The swap had worked better than even Aladdin could have planned, and reports of the jersey's worth hovered around half a million dollars. However, the joy would be short-lived. Authorities found Ortega and the jersey in Mexico, along with what was believed to be Super Bowl MVP Von Miller's helmet from Super Bowl 50 and Tom Brady's game-used jersey from Super Bowl 49. Either Ortega was building a shrine to Brady in his closet like Helga did while hiding her love for Arnold, or the man has some problems. Ortega also reportedly got Kurt Warner to sign his own Kurt Warner Super Bowl jersey during Media Week, with the intention of then selling Kurt Warner's jersey back to Kurt Warner. Talk about some balls. Speaking of balls, Brady was of course very pleased with the discoveries saying in a statement that he was happy the jerseys were found and thanked law enforcement for working very hard on the now-closed case. I'm John Lund for Sports News Red Like Real News. (laughs) 
As you heard earlier in the show, you can call in or text in to the bridge at 929-BRIDGE-7. That's 929-274-3437. Leave a voicemail or text your questions, comments, stories, or hot takes, and you'll be featured in the next installment of The Bridge. Now, we do like to pose a question each show to help give you the urge to call in or text in to the bridge. And this week, we want to know who will win this year's NCAA tournament and why. Well, my bracket is busted, but we can still talk about the NCAA tournament. This week, we chatted with Troy Macker. He is a senior digital editor for Comcast Sportsnet Mid-Atlantic by trade and also a huge college hoops fan. He ran the Ballin' is a Habit blog, which was a fun place to have your college basketball covered. And if you still don't believe me, he also coined the nickname Dougie McBuckets when Creighton star Doug McDermott was still on our televisions and came up with the hashtag Dunk City when Florida Gulf Coast took the tournament by storm a couple years back. He also is still currently the owner of the URL cryingjordan.com. So it was fun getting to talk to Troy about that blog and those hashtags and that website before getting into breaking down the opening weekend of the NCAA tournament, then looking ahead to the Sweet 16 and getting some of his predictions as well. You can follow him on Twitter at Troy Macker, but you have to spell that T-R-O-Y-M-A-C-H-I-R. So it's said Macker, but it is spelled M-A-C-H-I-R. And without further ado, let's get into that interview. We're here with Troy Macker. He is a senior digital editor for CSN Mid-Atlantic. Troy, thanks for joining the show. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing real good. You know, I wish there was uh, some college hoops on tonight, but, uh, you know, we'll have to wait. That's right. We just had the most wonderful time of the year for several days, and now it's one of the worst times having to wait for the games to kick back off again, even the ones that are going to be played a little bit later in the night when we get to the weekend. Before we get into the NCAA tournament, I wanted to turn back the clocks a little bit to start. You graduated college in 2009, but didn't end up with a full-time gig in sports media until 2013. Could you give us sort of a Cliff Notes version of some of the different jobs you've held en route to that and then ending up at Comcast Sportsnet Mid-Atlantic now? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, yeah, like you said, I graduated in 2009 and uh, wanted to get into sports media and, and actually turn down uh, a weekend sports anchor job in Dubuque, Kansas, because, uh, you know, I'd spent four years in kind of middle of nowhere college. And I was like, oh, oh I'll wing it and go back to D.C. where I'm from. And, um you know, was coaching lacrosse. I played lacrosse in college and uh, worked a, just a myriad of different jobs uh, in event management, uh, doing like public address announcing of, of women's field hockey games at Georgetown. Uh, and a buddy of mine, through a mutual friend, was in D.C. and he hated his job. And I was, you know, still trying to get into, you know, cracking into business. And he loved college hoops, and I loved college hoops. I'm from D.C. He was from Connecticut, so we both grew up on uh, on Big East basketball, and so we started. Um, you know, his blog balling is a habit, and it gave us something to do. And and we both really loved hoops and and watched hoops every night and talked about it. So we started writing, and uh, you know, it turned into a, a pretty big thing on the internet. And um, you know, we eventually took jobs at uh, NBC Sports, writing for College Basketball Talk. I then took a full time job uh, at Sporting News down in Charlotte, where I was in charge of social media. Um, so you know, it 
it's funny because the, the most fun I've had working in sports was when I was living with my buddy Rob Doster, who's still now the head writer at College Basketball Talk and NBC Sports. We lived together. We watched hoops all day, every day. We'd come home from our jobs and immediately just start writing and talking about hoops and watching it. And it was so much fun just because it never felt like work. And, you know, we didn't get paid much. Our other jobs paid for everything. But, uh, like, the spring is my favorite time of year just because I'm watching hoops all the time. And it's, it's like this – this week is brutal because there's no hoops on whatsoever. Um, but, you know, the weekend's great because it's, it's just nonstop hoops and everyone's paying attention. There's no football. Um, you know, NHL and NBA can wait the two or three weeks until the playoffs start. So everyone is paying attention to us, the people who watch it from early November when, you know, football's taking precedent. But there's still great games. And there's been great games going on all year. I don't think people realize how, how much fun this season has been. And one of the beauties about college basketball is you don't have to worry about your favorite team resting their players when they're playing an important game. Exactly. Not earlier in the season, in the middle of the season, or in the tournament, those guys will be on the court. You mentioned teaming up with Rob Doster and starting and creating the Ballin' is a Habit blog, which was really what got you some early recognition when you were trying to get started and make a name for yourself in the sports business. That website, that blog, those podcasts that you guys did covered college basketball in a pretty fun way. It was very intensive. It was fun to read and fun to listen to. What would you say the inspiration for that was and what ended up marking the end of that run? The inspiration was honestly Rob like starting to write about sports and it was he just wrote it on his own like Rob Doster blog spot and I'd we'd go over I'd go over and drink beers and like we watched the draft. And I was like, wait, why is he writing? Why, I, I want to be writing. He's like, where do you want to write? So we just, it wasn't that we didn't know what we're doing. We were both, you know, ex, like amateur experts in, in basketball. But um, it just worked because he really wanted to be a journalist and a writer. And I wanted to work in media. And I was really internet savvy and, and figure out, like, what people want to read and, and what piques people's interest. So, you know, I did a lot more of the creative stuff that uh, kind of carried us day to day. And he was able to, you know, start to get scoops and, and whatnot. It was just fun because, it just started as us reading and watching basketball. And then it, it, we kind of were able to interject ourselves as, as our, ourselves, to be honest. And it was just us dickering and insulting each other because we're both, you know, just college pros at the, at the time, drinking beers and eating food. So it, it kind of, you know, uh, we, we created a voice for ourselves where he was, you know, always putting me down and I was always just yelling uh, ridiculous stuff. And, like, people on the Internet either thought it was hilarious or couldn't understand why we hated each other, which is so fun. And funny, and um, you know the end. The end of the road really came uh, in, in kind of great fashion. We we really wanted to do something that some, put us on the map that we would be able to present to people. Uh, and so, you know, us being from the East Coast, there there are a bunch of good barns we can get to and, and watch games. But some of the best ones are across the country. And so, why not, you know, hop in my car and drive across the country for twenty days, covering hoops every day and writing about it and you know, um, people will pick up that we're doing it. We're doing something different. Um, also, you know, as co- college grads, you know, everyone should travel across the country. So we kind of killed two birds with one stone. And, and you know, when we got back, it, it didn't take too long before NBC, you know, wanted us to write for their site. And, um, you know, it was it was a great way to, like, end things. We also, like, moved out because the people sold our apartment uh, who we were renting from. On the, the blogosphere, you know, not very many blogs su- survive more than five years as they shouldn't because, this start is, is one person's 
own voice. And if you're good and you can bring people on, it turns into, you know, a, an independent website. And then eventually, if you're good enough, you get hired away. That's just how things work. And so it was awesome. Like, I wish, you know, I was over at his house this past weekend just watching hoops. And, like, he has a kid now, so it's super weird. <laughs> but it's like the next generation. We're still sitting on the couch, um, drinking less beer, just still talking about hoops, watching, you know, three games on at a time. Um, and I'm just, like, looking at looking at stats, weird stats, and he's writing about games. So it's it really – he always says, like, if, if I stop being a fan, I, I stop doing this job because, you know, what, we're all fans of sports. We're certainly not writing with, you know, blind fandom, but we're fans of hoops. Uh, I love watching it, whether I'm writing about it, reporting or not, just because I think it's the greatest sport in the world, college basketball. I get it that not a lot of people agree, and I'm totally fine that football rules, rules the roost and that baseball is America's pastime, but for me – you know, seeing a packed uh, arena, a tiny, a tiny arena uh, packed to the brim, and seeing the swings of games, you know, going from down one to up six with three minutes to go, it's 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 awesome. So it, it all just stems from being a fan. Uh, and luckily enough, you know, I was able to turn it into a full time job. There was a time where I thought I needed to get out because nothing, you know, nothing was happening. You know, I had to apply for jobs and be the the first, the last person cut. Uh, and I was like, well, maybe it's time I go into insurance or something like that. And then I, I got a job with Sporting News, and and it's just been all uphill since there. Have you guys ever discussed potentially bringing that back in some capacity, whether that's just a little bit of writing or maybe even a weekly podcast? I understand it's obviously a lot of work to do, especially now with you guys both having full-time jobs, but have you thrown around the idea maybe even the past weekend when you were hanging out, like, you know, maybe when the tournament comes around each year, we should try throwing this out again. You know, I've, I've thought about it. Um, we've never talked about it. We, it's funny, we, we, we don't really talk about a lot of, like, deep issues, even even stuff like that. Like, we're pretty basic. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, being on Twitter, we, we still, we our interactions are still exactly the same. We're, we're just bickering at each other. Um, and, you know, I, I think we... Nothing has changed about our work ethic or style of writing. It's just in a different place now. And it stinks because there was some, you know, very independent hipster nature to it that we weren't CBS or Yahoo, but we're, we're all trying to get those jobs. It's, it's, it's how things work. This was the five-year anniversary of us going on a road trip. So we, we had a podcast about that. I wish we could have turned it into like four hours because there's, we, we had to shoehorn it into 30 minutes. And, you know, when you spend a month on the road with someone you live with for three years and, you know, by the time you get back, you want to fist fight. There's a lot. There's a lot you can talk about it. But you know, in terms of bringing back the site, I'd probably say no, just because you know, he he he's got a kid now, uh, and that's a lot a lot of work. And just writing one place is probably hard. But I think the spirit of it will always live on as long as we're insulting each other in front of thousands of people on the internet. Well, in speaking with the spirit, there were a couple quick hitters that I wanted to throw out at you just from what you guys were able to come up with while you were doing that. Did you or did you not come up with one of the greatest nicknames in college basketball at the time for a certain Dougie McBuckets? Yeah, no, that's all me. A thousand percent. I will give it to Rob that like he was the not the driving force, but like I said it out loud in person and then he put it to the tweet. And we both then started tweeting about it, you know, the next week or so. And then it took off just like Judd Gottlieb used it and Scott Van Pelt used it and Seth Davis used it. But no, that's, it's, it's one of the, the odder things that Rob has tried to, um, to uh, accuse me of stealing from him, considering it was all mine from the get go. But I think, you know, it's part of him trying to keep me down and, and keep me in check. Cause he was the one who's supposed to be the, uh, 
the high profile, you know, the talent. I'm supposed to be the producer, so to speak. But uh, no, that's crap. I totally, um, that's mine, 100%. The second one is, did you or did you not crown the phrase Dunk City in regards to Florida Gulf Coast a couple of years back? Oh, yeah. Nope, me again. Same, same place, same on the couch. Ca- I was on the couch. Oh, no. I, so we were on the couch, but I didn't say it out loud. He was writing, and I was handling the Twitter account for NBC Sports, College Basketball Talk. And then, so I tweeted it out, and then kind of just went back. Because also, the irony of it all is that I'm a huge Georgetown basketball fan. They're my favorite team of all sports. Uh, you know, most of my family went there. And my my brother and my dad were at the game, and they asked me if I wanted to go. It was up in Philly, and I said, no, no, it's the first weekend. I'm staying. I've done that before, and it was no fun. I would much rather be on my couch. And then to watch your team that had already lost to Davidson, to already lost Ohio, um, lose to this, this phenomenon. Um, it was ironic that I was the one who came up with it. But then, you know, I kind of went back to tweeting or doing whatever I was doing, and Rob got defensive of, people, of Florida Gulf Coast using it and other people saying that the university tweeted about it. And he kind of, again, like, took the reins in terms of defending it in public. But in terms of the coining of the phrase, once again, thousand percent me. So you could have copyrighted both of those and probably still been able to have your site up because you would have just been rolling in it. You could have so, been sitting on your couch and just did it that way. Uh, so f- fun fact about that. People always say that. Like, oh, you should have copyrighted I was like, yeah, I should have. I tried to. I legitimately tried to with Florida Gulf Coast, uh, Dunk City. And uh, again, you know, had a couple jobs, made enough money to live. But, um, you know, Getting a copyright is not free, nor is it cheap. Right. I looked into it. I entered in a patent office uh, in college. It was the worst internship I've ever had. It's just so boring. And that stuff is not cheap. And I would it would have run me $4,000 at least. And people would say, well, why don't you just ask your parents? I could ask my parents for a lot of stuff, but for $4,000 to trademark a hashtag, uh, I don't, I don't, they don't even know what a hashtag is. So uh, that, that would have been a tough sell to get uh, 4K from mom and dad for a hashtag and, and, you know, probably wasn't worth it. I mean, I hope they at least gave you a T-shirt or you have a T-shirt with that on it. I know they tried to kind of bring that back for this year's tournament. It didn't necessarily take off as much as it did when it was first come up with from you guys. But, I mean, a T-shirt yeah, goes I, a long way for the memories. I, that's all. Hey, I, I don't got enough. I have a... I have a Doug McDermott bobblehead, uh, courtesy of Creighton. Robbie Anderson, that's like he's there, is great. He's a good guy. I've gotten to know pretty well. So he sent me one of those, and that you'll never hear me complain about Coin and Dougie McBucket. Uh, haven't gotten a free T-shirt from Dunk City. Just put Dunk City on it, put my name on the back, and we're all good. The, the negative Nancy fan in me wanted Florida Gulf Coast to lose, not because they, they had knocked out Georgetown uh, back in 2013, but because I was like, you know what? I don't, I, I don't want this to take off again because it won't have my name all over it and people will forget that I started it. So, But on the flip side, if it took off again, who knows? Maybe more people come asking me about it, but I was, I was glad that they lost. And the last one, when one of the most popular memes in sports came to light, you happened to be the owner of the website in its name, cryingjordan.com. How did that come about and what did you end up doing with that? How did that come about? That's a good question. Oh, yeah. I went for a run after work when I was living in Charlotte. It was a beautiful city. Went you know, I was, uh, on the jog. That was my workout because I hate working out. And, you know, I'm like listening to music and just thinking of work stuff. Where I, what, what, you know, just letting my mind wander. 
And I was like, wait a minute. I wonder if anyone has the domain name. Now, this is like 2015, maybe early 2016. And domain purchasing is not a huge thing anymore. But still, like, this is peak crying George. It's the biggest thing. So I went home, DM'd one of my buddies who I worked with at the time. who was really smart. Uh, works at, uh, for the win now. And is, um, I was like, yo, should I do this? And he was like, how come you haven't already done it? And I was like, all right, I'm going to spend the $7 to purchase the domain name. And uh, I totally forgot about it. Like, I, I moved jobs, moved back to D.C. Um, and I can't remember how it got brought up again. But I totally remembered that I had I owned it, and so I just—it's not even a physical site; it's just the domain, and I redirect it. And you know, right around the uh, the NBA Finals, right before Game Five, so it was uh, ironically enough when the Warriors had a three-one lead, and then I like redirected it to the Cavaliers' website because LeBron had said something and was being a sourpuss, and someone found out. They they did their research for a, a, a social blog and hit me up and it took off and it's it's you know like dunk city and and document buckets it's netted me 0.00 dollars but you know at a very minimum people call me up every now and again they want an interview or something and and uh i've been trying to sell it you know if there's someone who wants to buy it absolutely uh you know we can we can work out a, a, a price uh somewhere in the three four or five figures um but uh <laughs> you know it, it's just one of those it's a fun internet thing um it's if if I had taken any of them seriously, I would have gotten too invested into them and not realized that I probably put in too much effort. But the flip side is what I did, which was just let them ride free of charge. And it's fun, but no money. I'm still 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 working. But again, I work in sports, which is you know the most fun job on the planet. Right, fun stories you can tell at the bar. Fun stories you'll be able Absolutely. to tell your kids. But the unfortunate part is you'll probably have to explain what all of this is based on the way electronic media goes. There'll be completely different things by that time, so it'll at least be something fun to look at. So now, finally, getting into the NCAA tournament, we'll start with the age-old question: How's your bracket? My bracket is not doing well. So here's the thing: I have multiple brackets. I'm one of those people. I have like eight because um, I just can't decide. I'm awful at deciding, and I know too much. I watch too much hoops. So I have like eight brackets, different brackets, completely different. Uh, but then after getting a lot of crap from uh, buddies, I decided to the bracket that will be the one that people ask about um, is I took all the brackets, laid them out, and then if I had eight, whichever team I picked uh, a majority of the time in specific matchups, that's the team I would go with for my like aggregate bracket. I was doing real well, real well after the first day. I had 30 of 32. Let's see. I had SMU winning, and I had I, – there was another one I, I didn't have. Um, oh, UNC Wilmington, Virginia. And so I was, I was feeling pretty good, and then I, I think I got 16 out of 32 right for the second round. So I'm, I'm basically dead in the water like a lot of us. Yeah, as I look around at the Duke posters I have in my makeshift studio, you can probably tell how my bracket has fared so far because I went with the typical Duke fan mentality of, I've seen this team play well, maybe this will be the year they actually do in the tournament, but it's one of those years where they do their typical, maybe we'll get out of the first weekend, probably not. Unfortunately, I picked the wrong time to have faith in them. Usually when I don't, they win, so I should probably switch that up. After a somewhat boring opening round of games I guess you could say we did finally have some excitement in the round of 32 what have been your thoughts so far on what's happened in the tournament after the opening weekend 
Um, you know, I didn't think the first round was that boring. Now, you know, there were no buzzer beaters and there were no, were no upsets, major upsets. So by that token, yes, but I, I thought the games were really competitive for the most part, especially on Thursday, you know. I think like the average margin of victory was like 10 points. And, and most of the, a lot of those were, you know, teams kept it close. It was four, four point game with three minutes to go. And that's really what you want out of games. And certainly you want the last three minutes to be crazy. But, um, you know, I think the games were competitive Thursday, Friday. They were a lot better, a lot better Saturday, Sunday. Um, because I think it's one of those, we criticized the committee for giving us some really tough, good matchups early on. Um, you know, like Wisconsin versus Villanova is not a second-round game, and Kentucky with Star State is not a second-round game. But that being said, to get them on the third and fourth day of the NCAA tournament, it's not bad. Those were great games. Uh, they, they were just not played at the right time. But, um, you know, if, if I have big takeaway, it's, you know, I, I don't really know because there, there's not one big prevailing story arc. You know, maybe the ACC, but that happens. It, it happened when the, the big... The Big East got 11 teams in. They only had two make it to the Sweet 16. Um, we, you know, we could spend an entire podcast talking about the referees. It was uh, questionable at best. But I, you know, arguing about refereeing, it's like they're they're flawed in in nature. Um, you know, we're asking people to make on the on the job decisions quickly uh, when we also have replay to contradict what they say. So, um, you know, there weren't any huge huge storylines, but a lot a lot of pretty good ones, which is what made it the, such a robust uh saturday sunday there has been a lot of talk about the acc even in the regular season about how great of a conference it was and it's one of the best we've ever seen and nine teams ended up making it to the tournament but you've also tweeted about this that it doesn't necessarily mean it wasn't a success for the conference because they weren't able to get a lot of wins in the tournament even though only one team is moving on to the sweet 16 Overall, they still did do well, and kind of correlating that into the upset type of games that we see in the tournament, do you draw a line sometimes when it comes to upsets? Because we do love to see them, but sometimes they could be a little deflating, like in the instance of Duke, where they're a team that a lot of people love to see lose, but you'd probably like to see them lose in the Final Four or even in the championship because it'll feel better. It's nice to get upsets, but it's also nice to have those teams that you either hate or powerhouse teams that get far. So it kind of makes it a little bit more exciting. What are your thoughts on just upsets in general? We see them every year. There's always 12 and fives, but sometimes there's even worse ones. And there's been a couple instances of that this year. Does it hurt things or is there sort of a line that you like to see drawn when it comes to them? Um, I think it depends on who the team getting upset is, because like at, at Duke, you know, when they lost to Mercer, it was it was bad for Duke fans, obviously, but great for the internet and great for casual fans because they're the easiest team in the country to hate. If it's a two seed Iowa State when they lost to UAB, I believe, yes, UAB two years ago, you know, that's that's good because uh, sure it killed a lot of brackets, but so does lots of upsets. Um, and you, you don't really lose a, that huge. Duke is a is a you know an isolated incident or not an isolated example because uh, they are the most popular team uh, in the country in terms of exposure and in terms of people knowing them. So when they lose, it's great uh, in a flash, but then you realize they're done. You don't have any more uh, potential Grayson Allen incidences. You know, there's no hating on Coach K, the whole nine yards. So. Um, I like to see them. I also 
you know, as cool as they are to see the buzzer beaters like when Western Kentucky won or when, uh, you know, Murray State with Denaro Thomas those years ago, uh, you, you don't also want to see a 13 playing an 11 in the Sweet 16 or Elite 8 like we've seen with Wichita State and LaSalle just because, you know, it should be chaos early, but then it should play out where you have the best team late. Um, you know, it was pretty cool when Butler and BCU made the Final Four, and it's not just their fault. But that was one of the first, the worst Final Fours um, in recent history. Uh, you know, in the national championship game against UConn uh, will go down as maybe the, the most boring and worst national championship game of all time. Again, you know, UConn played a big part in that as well. But um, if you want to see upsets early, and as long as they don't, you know, impact uh, like a Duke or a Kentucky or a UNC, um, that really hurts the casual uh, viewer. Um, in terms of keeping their attention as we get to April, I think they're good. I think they're great. In typical fashion, the Pac-12 entered this tournament under the radar a little bit. Some people viewed them as overrated, though I don't know how much Pac-12 basketball those people actually watched. And now in the tournament, they seem to be a conference that can pick up some steam and make some headway maybe into the Final Four is that maybe the conference that we should keep an eye on moving forward, or are there other ones as well that you think can really have a stronghold so far? I think it's weird that people were down on the Pac-12 because I would put, you know, when their three teams were playing their best, uh, they were the best three teams in the country. Like, I would take Oregon, Arizona, and UCLA over, even, like, at the time, a Xavier, Creighton, and Villanova when those three teams were rolling, or even uh, whoever the top three were at the same time of the uh, of the ACC. But um, I think, you know, the Pac-12 is in the best position right now because their three best teams are still in it. Um, and sure, it, Oregon is, you know, without Chris Boucher, who's their, uh, their primary rim protector. But, um, you know, I, like the SEC's got three, and Florida very well could come out of the region. Shoot, so could South Carolina. Uh, so, I mean, that could be a South Carolina-Florida uh, Elite Eight game which is weird because um, you would never expect, like, what, what, what is this, football? Um, but, uh, you know, I think uh, the Pac-12 has done a really good job. The top, uh, I mean, UCLA is one of the best starting fives in the country. Arizona has one of the best eight- to nine-man rotations, and, and Oregon has one of the best players in the country. Uh, and Dylan Brooks and then Tyler Dorsey, who's the leading scorer in the NCAA tournament so far. So, um, you know, if I had to take the Pac-12 or the field, I'd take the Pac-12 at this point. I can throw all three of these out here and maybe see if one of them strikes a chord for a team or a game. Have you seen what you've deemed the biggest upset or the biggest disappointment or maybe even the biggest surprise so far in the tournament after we were done with the first weekend? Hmm. That is a good question. The I, North Carolina losing to Butler would be maybe the biggest surprise, bigger than Duke, because Duke, you know, they don't play defense, and they, they sometimes they can't shoot, and that's what happened, and Sundarius Stormwell can score. So, uh, and the thing with UNC Butler is just that Butler, they have a, a, a bottom seven starting five and roster in the Big East, and they, I mean, don't get me wrong, Chris Holtman is a great coach, and they're, they're, their team is good, but they're talent-wise. They don't have any talent, which is even why they're uh, it makes it more amazing what they're doing. Uh, North Carolina's got talent for days, and they have one of the most athletic teams in the country. And so uh, for Butler to win, that would be a huge upset. I think probably 
just given the disparity in the you know in in who's playing in terms of the talent, that would probably be it. Um, you know, I don't think it would be a huge upset if West Virginia beat Gonzaga. Um, you know, have there been disappointments? I think Duke not winning is a disappointment given what they did in the ACC tournament, but also it took a lot to do what they did in the ACC tournament. So maybe they were just spent. Um, but I think, I don't know if there's been a, a huge upset already or a huge disappointment already. So I would have to point to, to, you know, North Carolina and Butler as being, if it happens, the biggest upset. We're going to start seeing two teams, if you will. There will be the very experienced teams that have been down this road before and have veteran-laden rosters. And then there might be some of those teams that have the really young players who are really elite and are probably going to go very high in the NBA draft. Since you watch so much college basketball, and being a Georgetown fan, this might be a little bit easier to answer because they tend to go in this direction. Are you more of a fan of a team that's made up of that experience, or is it sometimes better to luck out and have those one-and-dones that just come together at the right time and are able to make a run for those six games? I think both, and that's a bad answer, but experienced teams are great for the tournament because more often than not, you've the casual fan has heard of them before, even just a little bit. This year, Bronson Canning and Nigel Hayes are at the forefront, and that's because they've their stock has grown over the years, and, and the casual fan has seen them in the Final Four. Um, but at the same time, having freshmen uh, and up underclassmen who've never been, or even if it's just non-one-and-dones, but just young guys, they don't know what to think about the NCAA tournament. They aren't playing... Uh, to not lose and not get embarrassed in the first round because it happened last year or two years ago, whatever. The more experience you have, the more memories you have. And if any of them were negative, then you're you're playing a little more tight. A lot of these, for a lot of these one and dones and underclassmen, uh, they're just they're just playing, and uh, there are a lot of teams that hadn't been there before, so they're just playing another game. They have nothing to lose, so it's refreshing and it, it's it's good. It's almost selective memory, like you, it's just another game, and you certainly if you if it's uh, an undefeated team, like, you know, the Kentucky team a few years ago, then there's the weight of the world on your shoulders. But that's different. Um, so I, it's a little bit of both. I think it's it's good for experience because we've seen people there, and it also kind of rewards the guys who stuck it out. But also, from a coaching standpoint, you want to have those young guys who've never been there before because they don't know what to think, and they just play like another game. Is there a team as a whole or maybe even an individual player that can carry the team that we should keep an eye out for as we move along here in this tournament that could make a run, maybe get to a Final Four, or even go farther? You know, I, I, it's funny because a lot of the guys who we would have pegged um, as the guys who can really put the team on their backs, you know, like a Bonzi Colson or a, a Mellow Trimble are, are out. They've been bounced in the tournament, but um, so if you're looking at the guys still in it, you know I think Trayvon Blewett from Xavier is a is a good example. He's you know he's averaging like 25 points a game in the first two games, um, and you know because Xavier doesn't have Edmund Sumner as a point guard, he's he's their primary scorer, and he's you know a guy who you know can score in bunches. And Xavier's going to have a tough tough mountain to climb with facing Arizona and then potentially Gonzaga just to make it to a Final Four. So that would be tough, but he's absolutely a guy who can will his team to victory. Um, and then, you know, I think because a lot of the, the better teams, they have, about, like, Lonzo Ball is great, but, you know, they have T.J. Lee, they have Thomas Walsh on the inside. Um, you know, they have Bryce Alford, who's made a big shot or four. Um, but with Kansas, you know, 
I think Frank Mason, as good as Kansas is and as deep as they are, Frank Mason is still the guy. He's a national player of the year candidate. Um, you know, he's capable of putting up 30 in a game and he's undersized. So you root for him. And when he does score a lot more, you know, you feel like it's worth even more because he's just so small. So uh, if I had to pinpoint two, dot, two guys, it would be Trayvon Blewett and Frank Mason. I think when it comes to fans maybe wanting to see a familiar face when it comes to the Final Four and even in the championship, they'll probably luck out when it comes to the right side of the bracket in the Midwest and the South because there's still those powerhouse teams still left in Kentucky and Kansas and North Carolina, even Oregon, if you really want to go that far, where if they were to make it, it really wouldn't surprise people. I think the surprise... Really, whoever it becomes will be out of the East or out of the West just because of the teams that have been eliminated in that side of the bracket with the teams remaining, like Arizona getting a lot of play and Gonzaga maybe finally getting to that game that they've so coveted. Who do you like coming out of that side of the bracket that might be able to at least make the Final Four or end up getting to the championship? Well, as weird as the East is, you know, with the eight, the four, the three, and the seven, um, you know, if Wisconsin makes the Final Four, it won't seem that weird. They were one of the, the worst seeded or most misseeded teams. Uh, there's no no way they should have been an eight seed playing the defending national champion number one overall seed in the second round. Uh, they finished second in the Big Ten uh, and made it to the Big Ten championship game. Being eight seed is ridiculous. So if they make it to the Final Four, that's your steadying hand. Um, because again, you know, out of the Midwest, Kansas, Purdue, Oregon, or Michigan, uh, Kansas, the real blue bud, but Purdue, Oregon, and Michigan, everyone knows of them, and, and they have, you know, players we've heard of, uh, you know, and Butler can play the ultimate spoiler for some reason to beat UNC and then beat the winner of UCLA in Kentucky. And as weird as the West is, you know, and we, Gonzaga's never made a Final Four, and Sean Miller's never made a Final Four at Arizona. Arizona's got name brand status. Uh, they have future pros. They have future lottery pick in Laurie Markkinen. And Gonzaga, everyone knows who Gonzaga is. Everyone knows who Mark Few is. So it could end up where we have, you know, uh, a Kansas, uh, you know, as long as it's not Butler, UNC, Kentucky, or UCLA, and then an Arizona or Gonzaga and a Wisconsin. So if we had Arizona or Gonzaga, uh, Kansas, and then one of those three Blue Buds in Wisconsin, that's a pretty, it's a pretty heavy Final Four, you know, in terms of name brand recognition, people who it's easy to get latched onto, and also just high quality basketball. I mean, again, Wisconsin's an eight seed, but they, they, they could they play like they're a three or four seed. And we don't have to look too far down the road in predictions, but it's fun at this point of the tournament because a lot of people will say, Well, my bracket's busted. Let me take out the bracket and see where we're at, and then maybe I can look for things and predict that from now and then pretend that I didn't screw up the first opening rounds. Moving ahead Getting to that final four, what are your thoughts about the teams that might be able to come out of those regions and represent them, get through the Elite Eight, and then finally make it to that coveted final four spot? Well, you know, I, I think Wisconsin makes it. Uh, they're just they're the best team in that region. Um, you know, I like Kansas despite not having a lot of size compared to some of the teams left to play to get there. Uh, they're the best team there. Um, you know, I think Arizona and Gonzaga would be an awesome game. It would be a rematch. Gonzaga won narrowly earlier in the season. But Arizona has a better player, so they have a better talent. And I think talent plays out. They have better guards. I think guards play out. Um, and I think, you know, Mark Freer is probably a little bit better of a coach than Sean Miller, but the, the guards and the talent should, uh, you know, kind of make up for that 
you know, not having as good of a coach, but still both tremendous coaches. Um, and then in the South, you know, I think North Carolina or UCLA, it's, it's just a tough one. I think UCLA beats Kentucky. And then depends on which North Carolina shows up. If it's the one that showed up against Arkansas, I think UCLA uh, can win that game. So let's go with uh, Wisconsin, Arizona, UCLA, and Kansas with my final four. Switching to being a fan instead of being somebody that covers sports, who would you like to see make a run, maybe get to the national championship game and even win it? It's interesting because I'm a fan of I'm – a, I'm a fan. Like, I root for teams, my teams, and I like them, and I hate other teams because of stupid factors. Um, but I'm also – I'm a fan of sports, so I want to see the biggest, most high-profile, everyone's glued to their TVs game. Um, and I'm a fan of college basketball. So for being a fan of college basketball, I'd put in Gonzaga um, because that would be great. They've never made the Final Four. Uh, you know, they've had world-class teams. And then um, from being, you know, wanting to see the biggest, the, the most buzzworthy everything, UCLA and Lonzo Ball. But at the same time, I'm a fan and I hate things for no real reason. And I want to see UCLA lose, not for Lonzo Ball, but for his dad, LeVar Ball, who is in headlines and really just talking up a storm uh, about his sons and making millions of dollars and all of them being better than Michael Jordan and Steph Curry. Um, you know, I don't want Lonzo to lose for him, but I want his dad to, to have to deal with losing because his dad feels like he's on the team. So um, I would like to see them lose, but I would also like, to see them play in the finals because right now Alonzo Ball is the most popular player in college basketball. Um, he's transcended the sport at this point, um, which is you know huge because a lot of people say we sleep on the West Coast, uh, but now you know West Coast player, uh, and it's not just because of his dad. He's a dazzling player. He, he he's got an awful looking shot, but it goes in, uh, and he can you know make plays from all ends of the court. So um, it would be weird to see Gonzaga and UCLA play in the national championship game because it'd be so West Coast then maybe some East Coast people would tune out, but uh, you would have all the storylines. So that would be, as a fan, rooting against people and rooting for people. That's the one I would like to see. To close on a little bit of a bigger picture, there was a time in our lives, we remember, where we would only be able to turn on CBS to watch these tournament games, and you would be brought into the games that weren't televised, maybe when it was coming down to the wire, they'd switch around if a game was a blowout. Now we have all the outlets to be able to watch the games. There's analysts talking about all of them. We're immersed in college basketball from sometimes noon to close to midnight because of when they start the games. Are you a fan with how things have sort of evolved with this tournament, both with how the teams are being chosen and brought into the field and how we're able to view them as sports media and as fans? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I am. I think um, more hoops all the time is, is awesome. Um, you know, there's part of me that wants five games on at the same time because it's just all hoops all the time. But at the same time, I don't ever want there to be a time where there's no hoops on. So maybe spread it out more. But, um, you know, I, I the, the one area of kind of media coverage that, that bugs me in it, in it shouldn't is, is is that, you know, this is the, the second biggest sporting event in the country behind the Super Bowl, I would say, the first weekend of the Final Four, and it's it's because of betting, obviously. But so, it attracts a lot of attention from other uh, you know sports media folks, and so it's like uh, you know a lot of people hop in. Maybe they're college football or that they're NBA guys. So the NBA guys are just writing about these these players as pro prospects, and and the college football guys are writing about the bigger picture of college sports. 
And it's like, hey, we've been here the whole year. You know, we we were writing about off the aircraft carrier games, and you know, the you know a three a.m. game of Marathon Madness between Monmouth and Ryder. It's like, and people are attracted to the draft prospects and the big picture stuff. So it, I'm, you know, it's kind of that very much is like the hipster in me being like, nah, man, we were here first, and it's, it, we we were watching it when it wasn't cool, and now you come in and watch it when it is cool because it's cool. Um, but that's you know stupid stuff on my, on my half, but. More basketball all the time is always a good thing, in my opinion. Even if it's Charles Barkley, he says ridiculous stuff. It's entertaining. It holds no weight, but it's it's fun. So give me more college basketball all the time, and I'm a happy camper. So I'm guessing there's no doubt you'll be able to stay up for the 10 o'clock plus games that we'll have to deal with this upcoming Friday and throughout the tournament because they start them incredibly late now. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, like, I love uh, late night hoops, uh, you know. I have to work a couple night shifts during the week. And so when I get home at midnight uh, and there's still a West Coast conference game going on, I love that. Like to be able to watch hoops at 2 a.m., uh, like, every, like every single night. Like if it were up to me, if I were a president of the country, I would have mandatory televised sports every day during the weekday and also late night and during primetime like they normally are. So just more, like I said, more sports all the time, I think is, is you can never go wrong. I agree with that. And I know you're as excited as most people listening and most people around the country will be for these games to kick off. Troy, thanks so much for coming on to the show. It was a pleasure getting to learn more about what you guys did to start your journey covering college basketball and building up a little bit of audience. I hope people remember your name if they should hashtag what we've mentioned at some point throughout the season with the games left. But keep up the good work with what you guys are doing. It's been great following some of your stuff on Twitter, and it was nice to get a couple minutes just to help us break down what's been going on. And hopefully we're in for another exciting weekend coming up as well. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, man. Fans of superhero movies were very excited to learn that Wolverine would return to the big screen. And after many months of waiting, that time is finally here. It's time for another edition of Five Minutes in the Film Room with Kyle Ciciloni. And don't worry, there aren't any plot spoilers here, so you'll still be able to see these films and we'll have a little bit better of idea of what's in store if you do. This week, Kyle will take a look at Logan. You can find Kyle on Twitter and on Periscope. He is at Kyle Ciciloni, that's K-Y-L-E. C-I-C-I-L-I-O-N-I, and also find some of his work at ajaznetworks.com. That's ajaznetworks.com. And without further ado, here's this week's edition of Five Minutes in the Film Room with Kyle Ciciloni. Thanks, John. It only took nine movie appearances, three standalone movies, 17 years, and an R rating to finally give Wolverine, the most popular X-Men character, the movie that he, and in turn Hugh Jackman, deserve. But in a bittersweet turn of events, it also comes at a cost. It is the final appearance of Hugh Jackman as the Wolverine. We're of course talking about Logan, the newest Fox movie, not to be confused with all the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And again, like I said, this is the first R rating to be given, so after the success of Deadpool, Fox wanted to go ahead and give it another try, so Hugh Jackman came up with another script with James Mangold directing and writing it, and they more or less hit it out of the park here. So the script of this movie is not necessarily original, it's pretty solid, it's nothing crazy, it's kind of rudimentary for the most part of what actually happens. 
but the dialogue is really good in this movie. It flows really well. It's very quick. And it also provides a lot of subtle exposition, little hints of things that happened in the timeline of this universe leading up to this movie without actually having to go into flashbacks or explanations. It gives you a good idea of how things came to be without going too in-depth on it. It's also a small-scale story. It doesn't have the same world-ending plots as all these other comic book movies have, where there's like a big light in the sky and there's aliens coming in. It's more of a derivative than that. It's smaller scale, so it's just about these characters. It is a and hard character-based drama, really. We learn more about Logan as an actual character in this movie than we do in all of the other X-Men movies combined. Those are all fluff and style over substance, whereas this movie certainly has the style, but it also definitely has that underlying substance in its character development and the writing. Obviously, that's where all that comes from. Now, this is certainly the best Wolverine movie. That's a no-brainer out of the three that there really are. But is it really the best X-Men movie? I don't think you can really consider this an X-Men movie. There are two X-Men characters in this movie, really. It's hard to even really consider a superhero or a comic book movie. I mean, it is. It's good character drama, but it's got these elements obviously skinned over it in the course of what this movie is actually taking place in and what it's doing. It's different than what we've come to know as a superhero movie, obviously. Different than of the Avengers movies. They're more lighthearted. There's more people shooting lasers and bad guys that get hit. The stakes never feel real in a lot of those movies. Nothing's very grounded. Whereas this movie, again, doesn't feel super grounded, but definitely more so than any of the Marvel Studios movies. The action in this movie is super intense. It's really unhinged. That R rating is really where this comes into play here. We finally get to see Wolverine be Wolverine. We see him in all of his glory with no limitations. It is certainly brutal. It's violent. Bring your kids. It's a great kids movie. No, just kidding. It's a rated R movie. You should not bring your kids to see this movie. Don't say, Mommy, I want to see the new X-Men movie. That's certainly not what this movie is, so don't think that's what it is. This is also Patrick Stewart's best portrayal of Professor X, in my opinion. He he really knocks it out of the park here. It's funny how we've come to know these characters over the years, over the course of 17 years, Professor X and Wolverine, and we see them grow, actors grow into these roles, and also we grow ourselves, obviously, kind of outside and watching these, these characters go through these things in these movies. And outside of that, all the other characters, Stephen Merchant plays Caliban. He looks the role, he looks the part, I guess. Uh, he's simply kind of put in there as a plot device, unfortunately, so his primary function is only to kind of advance the story. Boyd Holbrook plays the villain. He's surprisingly effective, actually. He plays Donald Pierce, who's kind of the, the person who's working against the protagonists in the film. And the locations of this movie is, is what's stunning. It's shot... Well, it takes place around kind of El Paso, Texas and everything. The way it's shot and everything kind of makes it look almost post-apocalyptic. No pun intended there, because this movie does take place after X-Men Apocalypse. No pun intended. Anyway, but the, the way everything looks, it's shot beautifully. The score is actually pretty interesting. It's very exciting. The action sequences are pretty damn good. And the final shot of the film is extremely powerful. I'll just leave it at that. Now, the critical praise that's going across the board for this movie might be a little much. I feel like they're hyperbolic reviews, and to me, they seem to be a combination of two things. One, that it is an R, the first R-rated comic book movie that wasn't a silly movie like Deadpool. It's a serious movie, obviously. And two, the fact that it's obviously Hugh Jackman's final time being Wolverine. But uh, don't get me wrong, it is still a great film, and you should probably go see it in theaters. With that in mind, I would like to just thank Hugh Jackman for giving us 17 years of enjoyment. It was a bumpy road, a couple of those movies are really rough, but overall, he was the only thing that shined in a lot of those movies, and he really came to be the Wolverine. You've just spent five minutes in the film room with Kyle Cicillone. Thanks for listening. Sexy.
uh, check, please. That's going to do it for The Bridge. You can listen to this show and all previous shows over on my website at londonbridge.com. That's L-U-N-D-I-N-B-R-I-D-G-E. You can also follow me under that same handle on Twitter, at London Bridge. You can find The Bridge on iTunes by searching for The Bridge Sports Podcast. There you'll find the newest episodes of The Bridge every Friday night and all of our previous shows. Please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. In the next installment of The Bridge, we'll break down the next two rounds of the NCAA tournament, take a rest before talking some NBA, dive into some baseball, and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve. On The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. Sports.